This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 442 of the Stable Scoop Show. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Horselovers.com, the Fairfield in North in Lexington, Kentucky, and Uncle Jimmy's brand products. Coming up on today's show, we talk about the Smith College equestrian program being nixed unexpectedly and what they're doing to try and save it. We have Julie Goodnight coming on in her 10th year anniversary of her TV show, talking about her best and worst moments. And then we review, with the help of one of our auditors, Robin Kane, the Renegade Broom, all on today's show. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. Bring you the news through hell or high water While using their tails as her own fly swatters So sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop This is Glenda Geek And this is Helena B And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Now, Glenn, I have to tell you something. Uh-oh. I have to open the show with something really important. Uh-oh, what happened? So I've been back to running lately because, you know, it's January and everybody gets like, out there and like starts exercise running. running? <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay, like just exercising. check it. Okay. Um, I always put on a couple of pounds in the wintertime because I eat like a maniac. And then January comes and I try to, I spend the next six months trying to lose Because you married it. a good cook. That's what you're doing there. I, and, and a good reservationist. He does like to <laughs> make reservations. So, um, so I'm jogging right the other day and there are lots of beautiful places to jog here in little Compton, but sometimes I jog on the road and I always listen to a podcast. Oh no. So I have a couple of different podcasts that I like to listen to and I rarely listen to my own. I, I do guys all hate to listen to your own shows. I, it's, it's it's so difficult. You, everybody hates to listen to these shows. It's funny. Well, since I started that Newport show, I've been kind of working on my voice and my tone and the things I say and trying to be a little a little more professional and polished than I am here on Staples. Well, you've been School. doing this for nine years and now you want to get polished? <laughs> yeah. So I was listening to our show last week and I loved it. I <laughs> I was like, That's not I what really I expected. Like, <laughs> I know. Me either. I was like, I don't know. I don't annoy the hell out of myself anymore. What happened? <laughs> and this goes back a long way, everybody. Helena would listen like in the first couple of years and she would just say, I suck. I hate this show. I'm not doing this show anymore. Oh I sound God. so bad. <laughs> you were so you were so degrading on yourself. You really were. I, I, and I am in general. I'm really, really hard on myself. I'm a bit of a perfectionist for, for probably not so great reasons, but so it's really hard for me to listen to myself. And, you know, sometimes I say things in our conversation or on the show and I'm like, oh, why did I just say that? I'm such a dope, you know? So it's hard to relive that the second time and actually listen to the show. But I have to say that the last couple of episodes have been really kind of fun. I'm like, Glenn and I are kind of good together. <laughs> 
it's I taken her it nine years to figure that out. But, you know, I yeah, do the so, same thing, though. I have to admit, when I give interviews, when other podcasters want to interview me, yeah, I can never listen back to those because I, I talk too fast. Yeah, I just think I get self-critical when I listen to those. But it's funny. I edit our own shows, and that's fine. You know, I, I can do that, I guess, because it's talking about horror stuff, and, you know, whatever. But I happened to listen. I did an interview with Dave Jackson last week for the School of Podcasting. And it's my fourth time on his show. And we were talking about building a network. And uh, I listened back to it because I wanted to hear what stupid stuff I said and shouldn't have said. Because after I'm done with interviews, I don't know about you, giving interviews, I always am like, I probably shouldn't have said half of those things. So I get done. And, and I, I did. I had that thought after I got done with it. I said, I don't remember what I said. I didn't remember anything about the interview when I was finished. I'm blaming Lyme disease, but it's probably just old age. So I listened back. And after I was done, I went, wow, I wasn't too bad. <laughs> That's better than I thought. I was a guest on a podcast recently, and uh, we were talking about teenagers, you know, parenting and teenagers and the abuse of technology. So I had a lot to say in that topic. You did. <laughs> and I have yet to go back and listen to the show because I'm, I just know I'm going to like be humiliated by myself. <laughs> I'm almost afraid to post it like for our listeners to listen to interviews yeah. I give because it's like, oh, man, I sucked that day. And then you go back and listen and you go, well, it wasn't too bad. I, I wasn't as bad as I thought I was. I know. I know. <laughs> How did well, we survive I mean, this long doing this anyway? I swear to God, Glenn, I don't know. We had, we, I think we decided early on we were not going to care. Well, that's what it was. Seriously. No, that yeah. we really did. When we first started, we just said we wouldn't care. We couldn't uh, yeah. because we would just, it would be too crushing to our egos <laughs> to care. And and somehow along the way, we picked ourselves up by our little geeky bootstraps and just kept going. So thank you to everybody that writes us an email occasionally that says how wonderful we are, because that just keeps us going. Because, you know, otherwise, uh, otherwise we don't think we're very good. So, uh, so, so thank you for boosting our egos. We, we appreciate that. And if you want to do that some more, send them to Helena at horseradionetwork.com. She'll let Yeah, know. yeah. You can write me letters, yep. cards. Now, if you want to bitch you and know, complain about anything in the world, send them to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. No, She'll be happy to get No, them. <laughs> not to Jennifer. She's the complaint department. Send them to Jennifer. Hmm. She just deletes That's them because she's, she's the strongest. Yeah, exactly. She's the emotionally <laughs> strong one. She had she's to the live superhero. with me for 30 years. Of course she's emotionally strong. You'd have to be. All right. Let's go on to our first guest. What do you say? And I'm glad you listened. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, let's uh, find out about horselovers.com, and then we're going to head on to our first guest. Jess is joining us with the Save the Smith College Equestrian Group. Uh, they have formed a group to try and save the equestrian program there. Tell us real quick, before we go to the commercial, Smith College, you know a little bit about Smith College. Just give us a quick update on what Smith, where and what Smith College is. Um, Smith College is in the Northampton area of Western Massachusetts. It's part of a five-college group of very well-respected uh, academic institutions. It's um, Smith College, Mount Holyoke, uh, Amherst College, UMass Amherst, and Hampshire College, I believe. And I attended UMass Amherst. Um, I played on the women's lacrosse program there, so I didn't have an opportunity to ride. But it's um, the whole area is is very horsey. It's um, UMass has an agricultural program. They have an agricultural school, and so the the students from all of the universities really 
they they work well together. And um, really, to have Smith College's equestrian team get pulled out from these kids is, to me, absolutely ridiculous. It's such a key component to the entire academic community out there. So, right. be interesting to hear what they have to say about it. Time for some Road to the Horse trivia. We all get in a rut when it comes to shopping for horse supplies online. If you have not tried horselovers.com yet, then you are missing out on one of the world's largest online tack shops and all the best brands like Noble Outfitters, Ariat, Turn 2, Tough One, Professionals Choice, Weaver, and many, many more. The coupon expires April 30th, so get on over to horselovers.com today and save on all your riding needs. Hi, Jess. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks very much. Well, now, I got this, or it's been all over the news, about uh, Smith College uh, dropping their equestrian program, and I wanted to get the details from you to see exactly what has happened, and now there's a push to try and save it. So, can you fill us in? Yeah, so actually, uh, what happened was that the, the Smith College administration announced in early December of 2016, so just a couple of months ago, that they would be closing the Smith College on-campus equestrian facility, which has been there um, in some form or another for 90-plus years, uh, and demoting the team from varsity status uh, in the Intercollegiate Horse Shows Association to being a club. Uh, so basically removing the school's athletic department support for it and treating it the same way that the school treats any other club on campus, not in the same way that they treat athletics. Okay. And this what nobody had any clue. It just, this is it. This is what we're doing. Exactly. So what happened is that the administration, uh, it's a new administration. The president has been at, on, at the college for about three years, and the administrators who are tasked with making the decision, the dean of students and the athletic director, they've been on campus for about two to three years each. So they are newcomers, uh, and they, uh, after discussions with members of our Save Smith Equestrian Steering Committee group, uh, it's, been, it's come to light that the decision has been in the works for two years. So I think you can do the math. Without telling anybody in the the actual program? Yeah. um, Nobody was made aware. It hit the students who are currently on the team as uh, they were blindsided. And no major donors or alums or community members were informed. That's a little little (laughs) sneaky not to talk to any donors or alums. That's kind of... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What, What reason did they cite for closing down the program? Uh, so they've given a variety of reasons. Uh, it keeps changing depending on what version you get. In the official announcement, no reason was given. They issued an FAQ that is currently on the Smith College Athletics Department website, uh, which actually does not uh, answer the question thoroughly. So as of yesterday, uh, I and another member from the committee spoke with the dean of students, uh, the athletic director, and the chair of the board of trustees, who was brought in late to the game. Uh, the board was not involved in making the decision. They've just been brought on as an afterthought after we started to bombard them with uh, letters. Um, but they, they essentially, they listed, oh, first it's liability. And we all know that horse sports are inherently dangerous. There's been a barn at Smith for 90 plus years, like I stated. And, uh, it's something that, uh, other schools in the area take on all the time as part of their risk management. And, uh, in fact, Mount Holyoke, which is very close to Smith and one of, uh, Smith's closest competitors, Mount Holyoke College, uh, uses the same risk management advisors uh, as part of the five college consortium there in Western Massachusetts. So the liability issue, 
we think it could be a smokescreen for something else, uh, whether it's this college needs the land uh, that the barn is on or the mm. college may be shifting to a need-blind admission program and wanting to trim anything that isn't a marquee sport. We don't know, uh, but they've never, the answers they've given are unclear. They've hinted at personnel matters. Uh, they've said that the students don't care about riding anymore. Um, they said that the, there's been declining enrollment. And, you know, when asked, hey, is, has this college done anything to make students aware that we have this wonderful facility and these options for everyone from beginners to advanced riders? And they said, well, we don't do that for any sport. So, you know, it just seems like they've made a decision and they're very, very firm, but they're very unclear. The whole thing's very opaque. There's no transparency. So for is Sue Payne still the head coach as of, I mean, until it closes down? Um, yeah, and the closure is expected to happen at the end of this academic semester. So that's only a couple of months away. Uh, Sue Payne is still currently the director of riding, and uh, there's an assistant coach set up right now. As Sue sold the business end of things and the horses and the tack to an independent contractor um, a few years ago, two years ago. And uh, since then, Sue has still maintained her position as an employee of the college. And she will, as far as I know, until the program moves offsite. How many, uh, how many, how many girls are actually involved in the team? So right now there are 22 students on the varsity team. A few students are currently abroad for their junior years, so there actually will be a couple of more students coming back, I think, this semester. Uh, so there's 22 on the team, and then the college actually has a community riding program that where members of the local community can come and take lessons that actually accommodates anywhere between 40 to 60 people, depending on the time of year, et cetera. And then uh, there's also students who ride and take riding just as a class and are not on the team. Uh, additionally, there are students who may have horses at home and they bring their horse with them. So they don't take any lessons. They just board their horse there on campus. Well, it's like anything else, right, Helena, that we've seen in the past uh, nine years we've been doing the Horse Radio Network. It always comes back to money. And I think when you said land, you probably nailed that one. Well, it's interesting that they they actually debunk that in writing on their FAQ page, stating that the decision was strategic, not financial. And so any kind of, you know, pretty much shuts down any kind of fundraising for the program. So even if the alumni decided and donors decided that they wanted to raise a, a ton of money and, you know, buy the land or relieve the college from the financial uh, responsibilities, that, that's really not their decision, uh, according to them. We ask, what happens if we buy the barn? And, yeah. you know, can we buy it from you? And they said, well, this takes a long time for the college to sell any assets. If you had come to us two years ago, perhaps we could have done it. And we said <laughs> we didn't know this was in the works two years There's ago. There's a political Speaking answer for you. <laughs> uh, so what is it then about, um, I mean, I know there are differences and you know there are differences and anyone who rides in IHSA knows there's a difference. But explain for our listeners why a club program is not as beneficial as an official IHSA program? So there's a variety of reasons, uh, one of which is the an IHSA program at the, at the varsity level. Um, the student athletes are going to be encouraged to come from all different riding ability levels. Uh, we actually, when I was at Smith, I was there in the early 2000s riding on the team. Uh, I was a very advanced rider, but we had riders who were uh, very, very young, completely new to the sport. Like they, they had never been on a horse before, and they worked their way up to being successful competitors who could represent us at nationals. And that is what is the beauty of a varsity sport. When it moves to a club level, generally, because there isn't the, the, the massive amount of 
of support from the college in terms of finances, you only see the people competing who were already competing prior to going to college. And uh, it really stops acting as, say, a, a funnel for people to go on into um, higher levels of the sport. Like you're going to see fewer international and national competitors uh, coming out of a program that's a club sport. And you're not going to you're not going to have the same publicity and just the same. I guess it's the same. I don't know. I just support is probably the most basic, but but best word to describe it. I mean, it's very likely that club club sports, as we've seen at other colleges, often wither and die, particularly in the case of equestrian. Yeah, I would add that that a club program doesn't have the infrastructure uh, and yeah. the recognition, as you said, that a national program does, and the consistency, which I think yeah. creates more opportunities for graduates who come out of an IHSA program. Um, oh, yeah. Let's just face it, it looks good on your resume. And uh, and there's a lot more learning opportunity because there is consistency throughout the program across the United States. Right. And the coach isn't the coach isn't a college employee. The coach is somebody who, you know, kind of does this on the side for the club as a favor to the college. And, you know, there there will be the funding for the riding team will then have to come from the student government association's budget. And uh, you know, you and you both know, and I know very well that horses tend to blow everybody's budget. So, uh, you know, we we did try to propose an alternative model where we would set up a 501c3 that would do all the personnel hiring, um, maintain the facility, and everything, and basically act as an intermediary between the equestrian program and the school, so the school wouldn't have to get its hands dirty with the day-to-day business. And uh, we were shot down on that too, uh, because we we know we understand the value of keeping it at a varsity level, and we understand the value of having an on-campus facility, uh, which it seems like the administration just doesn't get. Well, that leads. Then I guess it's time for a march. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw yeah. they had a breeches and boots day of action coming up, so there's that. Yes, but yeah, I do have a question. So a couple questions, uh, and I, mm-hmm. I'm trying to put myself in their mindset, which I've never been very good at. So, but if you if you take and go off, if you say, okay, you guys can have the land, let's assume that that's what it is. If they want the land and the barn and everything, going to build, build, build a big building there. Um, could you take it off site and still maintain the, the collegiate level? It, we theoretically could, but then it becomes, it becomes an issue of, okay, how do we get the personnel in place? How do we start infrastructure from scratch um, when we already have a facility that accommodates the needs of the program to a T? So we would have to find something off campus that, that suits that and that is located conveniently. Now, I don't know how familiar you all are with Western Massachusetts, but you know things are closer than they are out West, but they're still not that close. And many of the barns that have the type of infrastructure that could support a, a robust riding program, uh, which is the administration says, oh, no, nothing will change. Well, you know, trying to get students off campus for 20, 30 minute um, one way trips to the barn, plus packing up your horses, riding and then cooling out. I mean, that doesn't leave you much time for academics. So we just think it's not realistic to think that students are going to be able to sacrifice that amount of time on a daily or weekly basis, uh, you know, when, when faced with their very real job of being students. We think the on-campus facility is really the only way that you can have a competitive program that lasts for a long time. And you guys are right up the road from the Big E, right? Springfield? Yeah, 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 down in Agawam. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, for people that don't have a reference as to where you are, if you've heard of the Big E, then you, they're just basically up 91 from the Big E, which, you know. Yeah, it's about half an, hour, half an hour north or so of where the Big E is. Yeah. 
It's a strong, it's a strong community of equestrians. And then, um, it's kind of interesting. Which of the other five colleges have, um, IHSA equestrian teams, college teams? So, um, several of them do. Uh, in fact, uh, everybody but Hampshire, unless they've changed something recently. Uh, but Mount Holyoke is the most competitive. They're consistently one of the top schools in the, the nation. And uh, Mount Holyoke has an on-campus facility that's got about 140 people riding right now with a wow. 20-something person wait list uh, going to go get beginner lessons. So it's it's kind of odd that when we see that um, juxtaposed with the Smith situation where the administration is trying to tell us that students are no longer interested in riding, that that seems a little um, a little off. And then also University of Massachusetts Amherst has a program, but it is a club sport and their facility is not on campus. And uh, as a result, they're just not as competitive on both the local, regional and national levels. So um, at Amherst, same thing. Their facility is not on campus and, and they're just not the same level of competition as Mount Holyoke and Smith, which actually edged out Mount Holyoke recently in competition. Now, Jess, before we run out of time, what are you doing and how can people help? So right now we are regrouping because of this conversation we had yesterday uh, with the Dean Athletic Director and Board of Trustees Chair. But we are dedicated to... And basically, to to recap, they told you yesterday, sorry, get out of the office. Yeah, we're not listening to any of your proposals. We don't want any input. We don't want any discussion. This is not up for debate. The decision has been made by two people in the administration with no outside input from anybody. And sorry, you're out of luck. That's very open-minded of them. (laughs) Isn't it? We're as alums. I think I can speak for pretty much all of us when I say that we are shocked because this is not the image that Smith projects. Like this is not what we were led to believe no. our college was about. Yeah, and it's and, not very bright on their part. You have a handful of of Smith alums to go up against. I mean, <clears throat> you know, that's kind of like biting off your nose to spite your face. Well, and and if we're going to be realistic about money, usually your alumni out of colleges that are involved in a question one way or another are the ones that actually have money for an endowment. So, right. Yeah. And that's I like mean, we had a donor, one of the women who's donated recently, she donated over $75,000 to renovate the viewing room uh, at, at our indoor riding facility there at Smith. That was three years ago. And uh, now her $75,000 donation is going to be tossed out, you know, baby with the bathwater. So uh, what we're doing right now is we've got this breeches and boots day of action where people from all over can show their support for saving the barn and saving the team uh, as a varsity team. And all people have to do, uh, this is either Thursday or Friday, you could do both days, it doesn't matter, is take a picture of yourself wearing breeches and boots. If you're a Western rider, put on your jeans and your, you know, your cowboy boots. Uh, If you don't ride, uh, any kind of boots will work. And then also, or you can take a picture of yourself with a horse, real horse, fake horse, drawn horse, doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> any and horse. And then just hash, yeah, any horse. And you can post it on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and then uh, hashtag it, Save Smith Equestrian, and hashtag it, Breaches and Boots. And that, that will help us get the word out and show the administration that, hey, we're not going away because we've already, we have a petition with over 1,700 signatures on it. Um, and People can find that on our website, which is savesmithequestrian.com. So people can go to savesmithequestrian.com, and there's a whole section. Get involved. You can write letters. You can sign the petition. Um, you can share your story about why horses were important to you and, and riding was instrumental to your life. They don't even have to be related to Smith. It's just things that it, it basically explain to people who don't know horses why horses are so important. 
Very good. Well, and you know, this is important. You know, if, if somebody's sitting back and saying, I live in California, what do I care? It, it, you should care. Because again, it, it's the thing I always talk about, and that Helene and I have been talking about for nine years. It's the snowball rolling down the hill. And unfortunately, that snowball has been picking up and taking equestrian-related things down the hill with it for quite a while, and it's going to continue to do that. It's a lifestyle that is disappearing, and every little thing like this helps it disappear more. So it's well, it's 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 interesting that it it would be disappearing because, or at least if they're going to place NCAA sports um, at the top of the list over equestrian sports, you know. Equestrian sport can be participated in at the highest level. <laughs> this, you know, I don't. Yeah, it's Olympics. It's Olympic sports, yeah. and it's the only sport that Smith offers, and that many colleges offer, where men and women can compete on equal well, footing that is true. at the Olympics. Absolutely, it's, it's probably yeah. the most important sport to save right now. Right. I, both, but all right. Both horses and <laughs> and humans, men and women, competing against each other. We got both of those going for us. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, good luck with this. Let us uh, keep us informed. Let us know what's going on if there's any changes, and we'll we'll hope that uh, I'll send my picture. I'll yeah, post uh, this. Put the hashtag. We the cause. Yep. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks both of you, and thanks to all of your listeners for giving us a chance to get the word out. Because you know we we care about this so much, and you know as I go down today to feed my horses in their stalls, I work with rescued uh, off track thoroughbreds, and uh, I'm going to snuggle them and tell them uh, nobody's closing their barn on my watch. But uh, <laughs> hopefully we can hopefully we can do the same thing for Smith. <laughs> thanks, Jess. Atta girl, we're behind you. Thank you both so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Hello, folks. Uncle Jimmy here, and welcome to the world of Uncle Jimmy brand products, where funny names mean serious products. Featuring Uncle Jimmy's Squeezy Buns, the squeezably soft hand treat that your horse will love, the award-winning Uncle Jimmy's Hangin' Balls, Uncle Jimmy's Sugar-Free Ball, the incredible Licky Thing, also in Sugar-Free, the amazing Uncle Jimmy's Pecker Wrecker, and the Big Licky. The infamous Uncle Jimmy Hangin' Ball was first designed by me for my own horses to help reduce the bad habits which come from stall boredom. It now can be found around the world. This nutritious flavored filled boredom buster will help keep your horses occupied and happy around the clock. Properly hung, it will last for weeks, provided you don't let your horse pin it, and Uncle Jimmy knows who you are. The ball comes in four flavors. Apple, carrot, peppermint, molasses, and now sugar-free. Once again, welcome to the world of Uncle Jimmy's brand products, where funny names mean serious products, and satisfaction is 100% guaranteed. We are very excited. She made her first appearance on our show on episode 40 of the Stable Scoop show back in May of 2009, way back in the beginning of our network and, of course, of Stable Scoop. And that is Julie Goodnight, who's celebrating her 10th season of her TV show. Hey, Julie. Hey, Glenn and Helena. It's so good to be back on the show. And and thanks for uh, celebrating our 10th year with us. Well, now, you started right a year before we had you on. You had started the show. Did you kind of do like a, I don't know how it works with this level of show, but did you kind of do a test pilot and then a, a, a limited series and then see if it goes? How does that work? 
sort of. We didn't actually film a, a pilot show, but what we did was a uh, everything but film it. So we had a concept and a storyboard and a and the key players involved. In other words, myself and a producer and a and a videographer and the, you know the core elements of production. And so we ha- we put all to, all that together as a proposal, and and that was enough. We didn't have to film the pilot, so. In a way, our the, our very first episode was the uh, pilot, and I guess that's true of a lot of shows. We just uh, we did it. We did the first very first episode, and five other shows uh, uh, at the same time. And and did, um, were you surprised? Are you surprised at how long it's gone? Well, well, first of all, let me say that you know I I started in business for myself. As a as a regular old horse trainer 30 years ago, um, and I did everything that you would think of. I had boarding training lessons, trail rides, um, and uh, mostly we trained, uh, started horses, started colts, and, and worked on spoiled horses. And um, so back 30 years ago, in my wildest dreams, I wouldn't have imagined that I would have a TV show let alone it would last 10 years. And, and no, when we started the show, uh, we actually filmed our first episode in, in the fall of 2007, and, and we aired our first episode on the RFD network in January of 2008. And um, at that time, we, you know, we'd only been working on it for a few months before the show got accepted at RFD, and so then we were all of a sudden shifting gears into, holy cow, we have to come up with six shows by January 1st. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And none of us, by the way, had, had actually done a TV show. We, you know, we all had experience in our fields, but none, none of that experience included TV shows. And so, um, so anyway, so, so the focus quickly turned to just what the heck are we doing? So, but I, and then back then I wouldn't have imagined, uh, we had a a three-year contract at the time. So uh, I knew I was going to be doing it for a few years, but I never, I never expected it to last as long. You know, TV shows obviously have a lifetime and uh, when they, some of them live longer than others, but 10 years is a long time and, uh, and it's going strong. And that's because the concept we have um is good and the subject matter is vast because the subject matter is horses and pe- and their people and uh there's a lot of variety there yeah there most- is a lot of variety you know what do you think i mean it's kind of hard to toot your own horn when you have a sense of humility about you which i think you do but what do you think is different about you that that has contributed to the longevity and the growth of your show and your message well, I'll tell you, I know it. I know what it is. It's because it's not a show about me. It's a show about you and your horse. And, and we try to make the show about the horse and the person. And it's not what we, what was our number one intention when we, when we were talking about the concept of the show is I, I didn't want it to be another show about how well I can train a horse. Um, I don't need to show that. I need to show how well you can train your horse. I need to convert you. I need to fix, you know, for me swooping in on the scene and, and fixing a horse in the next 
half hour or hour means nothing if I can't get you to carry that on. And so our goal from the beginning was to focus on the relationship between that horse and that owner and, and not on demonstrating how I would train the horse. Although I have to tell you, that's what people want to see. Um, so we try to show a, a lot of that. Um, but our main goal in the show is to get that person to have the success on their own with that horse. So, um, so because of that, I think when people watch it, they feel very connected to the show and they can't wait to see the, what the next thing is because it might be something that they need help with. Right. I think, you know, the, probably the most appealing thing for me is when you do show what's possible. So you, like you said, you do have to, mm -hmm. um, you know, you do have to kind of swoop in there sometimes and say, this is what you can mm -hmm. do, but then you back that up with, and here's how to do it. And, and it's not just one way. It's not a one size fits all that you offer a lot of different yeah. options for getting, uh, this, a similar result. And so it does feel very accessible. I think the viewers can put themselves right in, right in your spot with you, you know, right next to you. There's <laughs> a very attractive, let's bring well, you into this process feeling. Yeah. And there's a very important point you made there, Helena, which is sometimes, I and, and all the other people that do what I do, all, you know, clinicians and trainers, sometimes we do have to step in and say, uh, well, let me show you that this can be done because a, a lot of times, more often than not, the rider or the owner wants to blame the horse for the problem or say, no matter what you do, this can't be fixed. Um, you know, for instance, the case of a horse that's going too fast and the rider's pulling back on the reins too much, you can tell until you're blue in the face, that horse is not going to slow down until you loosen the reins, but that doesn't make sense to them. So sometimes <laughs> right. you have to get on the horse and prove it to them. And, um, so there is certainly that, uh, and, and also what I have learned, um, and trust me when every year that goes by, I learn more and more about you know, what we can accomplish in the show and, and how to help people. But, um, you know, when sometimes I have to get on the horse because I don't know what it needs and I have to ride it to be sure what it is that it needs. But, um, you know, then I've got to show the, show the owner that it's actually possible for the horse to do that. And then the other thing I've learned is that if I can help the horse by sort of teaching the horse before I teach the person, um, then that gives the best recipe for success. Right. So you know what the horse is, what the horse is capable of, of doing, of giving, because you can't get blood out mm -hmm. of a stone, you know. All right, enough of the serious talk. I want to hear about some of the funny moments of your show. <laughs> I want to hear about some of those things that we that uh, happened that just stick out like, oh, geez, or whatever. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, um, you know, we have filmed, uh, I just, looked at all of our list of episodes. We've got 236 episodes that, that we've filmed um, as of this year. And uh, most of those have aired. Uh, let's see, minus about 20 that haven't actually hit the airwaves yet. Uh, but they're all, uh, we have all of our episodes archived on our website, stewiegoodnight.com. And um, anyway, so I was kind of looking through in preparation for this show. It was see some of the funny moments, but I'll just tell you some things in general that are kind of 
interesting about making this TV show the way we do it, you know. And first of all, when when I when I have to describe the concept of the TV show to someone who may not even have any clue about the horse business at all, um, then I always say it's kind of a combination between dog whisper and super nanny because uh super nanny um you know a lot of what we do is correct the person not the horse (laughs) right and uh so um but the while you can tell a person what you want them to do and say on the tv show you can't tell a horse and so the tv show is not scripted um we 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 shoot in a very specific segmented format um so we always shoot the before footage first and then we have what we call the interview section where i'm talking to the owner and trying to sort of suss out the problem or whatever um and then the main bulk of the show is what we call the teaching segment and that's a 10 minute segment where um i have a 10 minutes in order to train the horse and train the person. And um, sometimes that takes more than 10 minutes. A lot of times we do it in, in the 10 minutes a lot as it kind of depends on how complicated the subject is. But the first thing that's kind of interesting about working with horses in this way is when people apply to be on the show, they say, my problem is such and such, and, and that's what I want to work on. And so one of the things we learned early on is, first of all, what the person thinks is their problem is not always what I'm going to think is their problem. And so, like, for instance, the person says, um, my horse won't do flying lead changes. And so we think it's going to be a problem on lead changes. Well, it turns out the, the, the rider doesn't even know her leads or how to cue for the canter. So obviously we can't do a show on flying lead changes if you don't even know how to cue for the canter. So, uh, so that's one problem. The other problem is the horse doesn't always agree with what we choose as the subject matter. And so, for instance, in one of our earliest shoots, it was, we're shooting here at my ranch and we shoot here every summer in July. I live up in the mountains of Colorado and it's beautiful here in the summer. And uh, we have a a lovely pond uh, where we can swim the horses. And so we had a a gal apply to be on the show and, uh, and water crossing was her thing. And she had an Arab and this Arab just flat out would not walk in the water. And uh, that makes sense because how many, have you guys ever known an Arab that wouldn't want walk in the water? (laughs) It's really common. And uh, it's I not something they see very you know, often in their natural environment. No, I mean, yeah. <laughs> exactly. They think too much. They are yeah. desert horses. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so so as I said, the very first thing we shoot is the uh, before footage. This, and we try. And if we cannot capture the actual problem or topic of the show in that before footage, we can't make a show out of it. And so we've got the cameras all set up. Everybody's all set up. The horse is saddled. She's riding. Everybody's in their places, quiet on the set. And we say, okay, go ahead, walk into the water. And the horse just walks straight into the water like it <laughs> swum every day of its life. And uh, like, uh, okay, well, so 
I mean, it went in all the way up to where she was wet. It went all the way in up to the saddle. So obviously now the horse was soaking wet. Now we couldn't shoot any before footage and say this horse wasn't going to go in the water. So we're like, shoot. And so anyway, that was the very first time we learned that pretty much half the time, whatever top topic we think we're going to do the show on, it actually ends up being on something else. So we've learned to be very flexible. And um, when we start the cameras and we don't, when people come uh, to the site, we, we, when we film the TV show, we film three times a year at various locations. One of them is always here at my ranch in July. The other two locations, one in the winter and one in the fall, we do, uh, we kind of rotate around. Um, so once we go, know we're coming to a location, we put the word out and we accept a lot of applications. And then we go through a very complicated process of picking people to be on the show. And it's very complicated because uh, we want to do English, we want to do Western, we want to do groundwork, we want to do little kids if we can every now and then. And if a man applies to be on the show, we automatically do that. So... You have so few of them. Um, <laughs> we've had a few. We, we shoot for at least one man every shoot. Um, and usually, by the way, it's his wife. And Glenn, you can relate to this. It's his wife that actually filled out the application yes, for him yes, to be because, on the show. Yeah, I can relate. Yeah, And then like uh, two days before the shoot, she says, uh, Honey, did I tell you we're going to take a trip to uh, this ranch? <laughs> so... Anyway, so the complicated process of picking the shows, we were kind of going through all of that, trying to get a balance of good shows. And then half the time we have to change the topic anyway, because the horse doesn't cooperate. Um, and by the way, that water crossing thing that yeah. I described has happened two other times to us in almost exactly the same way. And as have others, things like trailer loading and whatnot, clippers, uh, head shy. And so we, uh, Steve is, uh, Steve Schott is our videographer, editor. Uh, he's the lead camera and the, and the editor uh, of the show. And he calls it the magic camera. So he says his camera is worth, you know, way more than the money he paid for it because every time he whips it out, the horse becomes trained. <laughs> So we laugh about that, the magic camera. Julie, I think the horses see you and they go, hell, I'm not fooling around with that lady. We're just going to do this. And... <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, horses do do that. And, uh, you know, that happens at expos a lot. But that's just one person. You can watch this one. You can see it every time on some horses. Some horses are sort of oblivious and they're going to act their silly ways no matter what. Right. But the smart horses, they walk on to wherever it is that we're filming and you can actually see them look around. They look around at all the people because, you know, it takes quite a few people. You don't see this on the TV show because they're all behind the camera. And, and we film the TV show as if it is just the owner of the horse, the horse and myself. However, there's probably anywhere from, you know, 10 to 15 people behind the camera as part of the crew that it takes to just do it. So you don't see them, but, uh, but they're there. 
Now, do you, uh, so, so when you do that and you have all of this footage, you know, I know they came in here, they're doing a documentary on podcasting and they came in here to the studio and filmed for three days. And I know that that'll be cut down to about 30 seconds of the movie, right? So, um, (laughs) so do you do the same thing? Are you doing a ton of footage or pretty much you using what you got? You know, we get for, uh, there's actually about 20 to 24 minutes of airtime in the show. And that includes commercials, some commercial and the segues and all that to get that probably took us, took us about three hours of work and about maybe an hour of actual filming. Got it. Um, Some of the shows we do are so organized that we shoot very little additional footage, but then there are some shows, and um, this was another one I thought about. Uh, Well, there's been been several, but one was an early show we did called Wave Runner, and it was filmed... um, on the co- on the beach at Martha's Vineyard with a horse, a, a sport horse that wouldn't um, jump water jumps. And so we took him into the ocean, into the <laughs> surf to get him used to water. And that took me and the owner had a broken arm. She broke her arm right before the shoot and so was unable to ride which meant we had to go out of our normal thing because our normal thing is that the owner has to be able to do the do whatever it is we're doing, uh, but she wasn't going to be able to ride at all. So I did all the riding on this horse, which was probably just as well, but because it, it took me about an hour and a half to get it into the water. Um, and so sometimes we have those in the training or teaching segment, you have a situation where there's no way you're going to get this horse trained in five minutes and then get the person to do it. And, and usually that's, that's obvious up front. And so I'll just say to um, the camera guys, you know, I'm going to start out talking uh, about what I'm going to do, but at some point I'm just going to start training and, and however long it takes is how long it takes. And we always show that when the show airs, if we spent more time training the horse than, than was allotted in the, in the TV show, we will uh, do a montage of that and we will show in graphics how much time elapsed. And um, another case, we had this mare, I'll never forget this mare. She was a black mare and uh, she was very well-trained and very broke, uh, super nice quarter horse mare, uh, but the owner could not get her to walk across a tarp. uh, and, And like this horse has just made up its mind Come hell or high water, it was not going to walk across a tarp. And in fact, unbeknownst to us, until this, we started taping the show, she had recently returned from a week-long trail obstacle clinic uh, with a renowned trail obstacle trainer. And in that entire week, they had not gotten the horse across the tarp. Now, I only mention this because she didn't tell us that in the application. She told us that right when we started taping the show. Now, what that means is that they had spent a week training this horse not to cross a tarp, and now I'm supposed to train it to cross the tarp. So you see the, you see the problem you got yeah, going on there? Yeah. 
it, it's not like that. That's not the same thing as training a horse that is has never walked across the tarp. Right. Who is you're basically untraining afraid it. of the tarp. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You you're not training it. You're untraining it. Yeah. Right. I know they had already successfully trained the horse. She didn't have to cross a tarp. And she's a strong-willed mare, and that was what that was her opinion, and it, it was not easy to change. And I just did the real simple. I just outstubborned her as all, and I did the real simple natural horsemanship thing and make make the wrong thing hard. And so every time she refused to go forward, I would just work the snot out of her at a trot until, and then give her another chance. And it took about, um, I don't know, but it was getting dark. I remember that. I'm looking out at my arena right now in the exact spot where all this went on. The sun was setting behind the mountains. And we're like, oh, uh, what are we going to do if it gets dark? We can't. We didn't have lights. We could just set up, you know, like a parking lot <laughs> or something. But she finally, I finally changed her mind about an hour and a half into it. And, uh, and, 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 and as is often the case, once she made up her mind, was she it. was apparently going through the same thought. Oh my gosh, what if it gets dark? And uh, what if nobody feeds me my dinner? <laughs> what if I have to stay out here all night? And, I've been uh, in that situation so before can, where you, you think you're getting somewhere and you're like, you know what? I have all the patience in the world. I will do this at your pace. And you, you know, you're feeling really good and really confident about that. Uh-huh. And you're making progress slow, but sure. And then five o'clock comes and you go, Oh crap. <laughs> I, had to, do I, do? I had to do this, so Julie, to get a date. Uh, when I was dating, <laughs> I had to do the same thing. Wear them down, wear them down, wear them down. Finally, they said, yes. <laughs> Julie, we've run out of time. Let me uh, get, tell everybody it's Horsemaster. It's on RFD TV. You can look at uh, it airs in different times and depending on where you're at. Uh, you, but the best thing to do, just go to juliegoodnight.com. All of the stuff is on there about your calendar, your clinics, where people can find you, how they can get to be on the TV. All of that stuff's on there. So that's probably the best bet. Yeah, and all the episodes we've ever filmed are available online at my website by subscription, uh, searchable by keywords and content. So it's a it's a great and valuable training resources for a lot of people. So uh, be sure to check that out. Congratulations, girl. Good job. Thank you. I hope to talk with you guys again soon. All right. Thanks, Julie. The Horse Radio Network is excited to announce a new partnership with the Fairfield Inn North by Marriott in Lexington, Kentucky for Road to the Horse and Rolex. The Fairfield Inn North is right off Newtown Pike and Route 64 near the Cracker Barrel and only 10 minutes from the horse park the back way, you know, the low traffic way. The Fairfield Inn North has spacious rooms that are being completely renovated now and will be ready in time for Road to the Horse. Plus, the Fairfield Inn North offers complimentary breakfast, a free Wi-Fi throughout the hotel, a huge free parking lot, a business center, indoor swimming pool and jacuzzi, outdoor patio with grill, a laundry facility, and much more. The Cracker Barrel is located right next door, and there are four other dining options available for breakfast, lunch, and dinner right around the corner. Just for listeners of Horse Radio Network, we have negotiated some great rates for you for Road to the Horse and Rolex. For Road to the Horse, we have the rate down from $160 to $120. If you're going to Rolex, we have the rate down to $199 from $260. There's a very limited number of rooms available at these rates, so call in your reservations as soon as possible. 
search for Fairfield Inn North in Lexington, Kentucky. It's the one on Hackney Place. You must call in your reservation and ask for the Road to the Horse or the Rolex Early Bird Special. So that's the Road to the Horse or Rolex Early Bird Special. Search for Fairfield Inn North by Marriott. Up next, my favorite segment of the show, it's Tack and Habit. And this week, we have reviewer Robin Kane, and she's going to talk to us about the Renegade Room. Well, welcome to the show, Robin. I love to talk about cleaning because... I'm essentially a little old Italian lady who really likes to clean and brooms are my number one cleaning tool of choice. I will never be without a broom. And you're going to talk to us about a a really innovative new broom. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's the renegade broom and, um, it's kind of, it has a, a few less bristles than you might see on some push brooms, but it's set up like a push broom but all of the bristles curl back at the bottom. So you don't push this broom, you actually pull this broom. It's yeah, pretty handy. It, it's very light. Now, it looks mm-hmm. like there's two different kinds of bristles. There might be softer bristles on the inside, and then the outside that curls, they're a different color. They're green instead of yellow like the others. Yeah. Is that, are they stiffer? What's? I think the center ones, the, the darker ones, I think are a little bit stiffer. At this. I noticed the other ones have started fraying a little bit already. I think they're a softer material. Okay. Okay. But it is curved. It has a whole different shape. Uh, yeah, all of the bristles. It, it looks like you took a broom and kind of just stood on it and bent, bent the bristles backwards. They're, they're a little bit longer, and they all curl back. It's very effective. I, I found it. I, I've used it on uh, wet aggregate, you know, with little rocks in it that have yeah. little redwood bronze stuck to it, and it just takes them right out. I've used it on my plank barn floor. I've used it on the rubber mats in my horse trailer. I've used it in the back of my pickup that has, you know, a, a bed liner in it. And yeah. it just, it just, uh, it take, it doesn't matter if it's wet or dry. It just, it moves everything really nicely. Now, did you, what about the cons? Well, I see my first, my first thought was, oh, it's really only designed to work in one direction. Did you find that to be a hindrance? Yeah, it pretty much is used for one direction. And so if you wanted to like walk behind it and push it, it's not going to work for that. I tend to like uh, either just back, you know, like back down my sidewalk with it or in my barn or a big space. I'll just kind of stand there and pull everything in in a circle, you know, and just make little piles that way. Um, but yeah, I don't see any, any use for it, pushing it forward. And I think the only con I, I see, although all push brooms are kind of like this, that if you're trying to get like into nooks and crannies, there's no really good way to like sweep things out of the edge or out of the corner of something. It just won't get in there. But that's kind of like a push broom thing anyway. You almost need a hand broom to do those things. Yeah. yeah, but that's really the only con. I think for the price range, which, you know, when I looked around online at prices, it was, you know, priced with the higher-end push brooms. And if it lasts as long as one of those do, I think it's a really good price point for it. Now, it shows the handle, the handle what term did you use, Selena? <laughs> Not Telescoping. Telescopes. Is, is that yeah, true? Yeah, it just, it, yeah, it, it telescopes. I haven't had any reason to telescope it back down. But, yeah, it just comes, you pull it out, and you kind of give it a little turn, and it locks into place. 
Um, and it's really light. I really like that. It's, you know, I can like with one hand, I can just toss it in the back of my pickup and take off. So, um, if you were in a tight space and you could telescope it down and then the handle would be half as long. Like a horse trailer or something, if you didn't have a lot of room. Now it shows pictures of it sweeping the nooks and crannies out of, out of stone where, you know, where there's holes in between the stones and then out of a grating and stuff. Is it better at getting into the nooks and crannies of something like that than the regular broom? I would I would say it definitely is. Like I said, my front sidewalk is uh, aggregate, so it's got you know it's cement with little stones in it, and the sidewalk out front of the house is probably eighty years old, so it's got cracks and crevices, and it just it just sucks all that stuff out real well. I think because the those uh, you know the um, bristles aren't really tightly packed, so they can kind of get their way down in there. I think it's really good for stuff like that. I want one. Yeah, I, I kind of want one now, too. <laughs> See, talked you right into it, huh, Alina? <laughs> uh, well, I would yeah, like I to have, have a broom for every function. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not against thing. having I'm, more than one broom. And that edge thing. I, I'm, I, I was just I'm gonna, considering buying another one. I've got one in my oh, barn, and cool. I'm thinking of getting another one just for the house. I'm wow. seeing on their website, they're 30, uh, I, the handycamel.com. Yes, the handycamel.com is the website. That's the manufacturer. <laughs> they also make the thing called the handycamel. Um, yeah. That, which we've talked about on the morning show before. But uh, they have them for 31 to 35, which seems like a good price for a high end broom. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that's what I thought too. If if they last as long as a good broom, right. and there's really, I, I'm not going to know that for a while, but I've been, I've probably had it. Hmm, four weeks to six weeks now, and I use it daily, and, you know, so far it's holding up really well. Well, it's called the Renegade Broom. I'm, I was trying to find it, uh, let's see, on Amazon, and see, it has a four-and-a-half-star rating with uh, 22 reviews. So there you go. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you can get anybody on Amazon to agree about anything, you're in good shape. Uh, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> true, huh? Well, I'm so glad you got to try this out and check it out. As I said, you can find it for $31, $35 on thehandycamel.com. Thanks a bunch. All right. Thank you guys for including all of us in, in uh, trying out these products. It's a lot of fun. I will never, ever forgive you for doing that picture challenge that you started last <laughs> week on the on the auditor page, though. So, uh, I, it, I know. It was pretty it, it was, was pretty fun, though. It was fun. Hey, I was in there ways, guessing yeah. with everybody else. The reason I'm not going to forgive you is I, I was late getting everything done because I was playing your game for three days. <laughs> I know. It was it was pretty amazing. You know, I put it on my regular feed, and I hardly got any hits, but I put it in that auditor's group, and the sucker went crazy. <laughs> Did you do your horses, Selena? <laughs> I, yeah, I started with my horse. Yeah, but he's an easy one. Helena, did no, you use I, yours? No, I didn't. I didn't. It was fun putting. Uh, it was fun putting scooters in there. Everybody knows Scooter's nickname, but they don't know his real name. So his yeah, is kind of complicated. Got really creative with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was I should do that. Yeah. I haven't been in the auditor's room for a while. Oh, you just scroll down. You'll see a thousand of these posts. <laughs> Okay. Oh, God. So that's my problem. If I, if I miss 24 hours, it takes me four days to catch, catch up. up. It's true in the auditor's room. Well, thank you so much, Robin. We appreciate you being an auditor, too. Thank you, guys. All Have right. a good day. Now go back Bye. to work. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. And that's the end of another episode of my favorite show on the Horse Radio Network. For details about today's show, go to stablescoop.com. And did you know that you can get the HRN app on your iOS or Android phone? You can just search for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. 
It's free and super easy to use. Don't forget uh, that HRN app needs updated. If you have it on your phone already, go ahead and make sure you do the update that's available because it puts the two new shows that we have, the World Equestrian Games radio show with Samantha and I, and also the podcast, which is all about the Hunter Jumper world. So uh, you'll get those shows if you do the update. So be sure to do that. And we have, we have had hundreds of downloads from China in the last three weeks. If you are listening from China, please drop me an email at glenn at horseradionetwork.com. We want to know how you heard about us because I want to know why all these downloads are coming from China all of a sudden. Be sure to log in next Friday for another episode of Stable Scoop. We really do love your feedback. Uh, you can send send it to Helena at horseradionetwork.com and all the negative stuff to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. <laughs> Follow us on Facebook. Just search for Stable Scoop. Many thanks to this week's sponsors, horselovers.com. Also, Uncle Jimmy's and the Fairfield in North in Lexington, Kentucky. Be sure to visit all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network. As Glenn just mentioned, we added a bunch of new ones. And you can find them at horseradionetwork.com. Are we done? And be, nope, not yet. You have to, You can also hear Helene on her other show, that oh, Newport show. You can that newportshow.com. Yeah, if you like love and travel and funny life stories, then follow us on thatnewportshow.com. Is it PG rated or is it R? It is PG rated. Okay, just checking. Yeah. All right. We might release a couple of R rated. <laughs> well, I was thinking about you and Buck, and I was thinking it might be R rated. That's what I was thinking. Well, it is me. You know, I always <laughs> got to drop a couple of bombs. I got to tell you, this is the only time in her day, these two hours of all week, actually, that we record this, that Helena's not swearing. So, uh, so if true. you think she's all this sweet niceness, you haven't heard her when she goes into Italian mode. Hey, dude, yin and yang, night and day, <laughs> sun and moon, everything needs balance, okay? We're done. That's it. I'm out. <laughs> There'll be more next week. Until then, happy scooping. Happy scooping.